Hello again, it's Tom Calvard here. And in today's episode, I'll be talking about taking a critical perspective, which is the title of chapter two of the book, which I'm covering in this series of podcast episodes. So in the previous episode, I was talking very much about mainstream approaches to diversity in organisations. And in some ways, they're a little bit easier to define because of their narrow and consistent and attempts to take a scientific focus on diversity, however misguided they may be and however limited they may be in some instances. Defining a critical perspective, or how to take a critical perspective, is a bit more difficult. By definition, critical thinkers have have many different views and ways of approaching this. And so in this chapter, it's trying to think about critical perspectives both on organisations in general and management and the idea of managers or indeed any conventional idea to do with organisations or managers in any sense. And then more specifically, what does it mean to direct that critical focus and attention to diversity? So in some senses, you can define a critical perspective by being everything or anything that a mainstream perspective is not. And there's there's questions about how complementary the two approaches can actually ever be and whether they can reach compromises and dialogue with one another. Because mainstream positivist research is really interested in fine-tuning the predictions of models and relationships between variables. Whereas critical thinkers totally open themselves up to endless investigation of social and cultural practices in our everyday lives. They really set organisations and managers against different views of society and some of the more nuanced experiences that people have that can be very fine-grained and a little bit difficult to to immediately understand. Like mainstream approaches, the critical approach to organisations is certainly not all the same. It's not monolithic. And so it is all about pluralism. One of the definitions I take in this chapter has actually since been taken down as a web page has been updated, but it's three paragraphs, so quite a long definition, taken from a UK, a United Kingdom British website um, on what tends to get called CMS, which stands for Critical Management Studies. This is something that probably is recognised around the world as a particular type of critical identity and research position within management, within business schools, although it may be underrepresented in certain areas of academic life. Nevertheless, this three-paragraph definition, which has since been taken down from the webpage, I I think is pretty comprehensive and pretty useful. And it talks about how CMS, Critical Management Studies, is largely left-wing, it's theoretically informed, and it challenges prevailing conventional understanding of management and organisations. And in doing so, it is a platform for debating radical alternatives to the relations of power, 
control, domination and ideology that we see around us. And so really it's an umbrella for many, many specific theoretical traditions, which include anarchism, critical theory, feminism, Marxism, post-structuralism, post-modernism, post-colonialism, psychoanalysis, representing a pluralistic, multi- or interdisciplinary field. And some of those long words may give some people a headache, but to me they represent a lot of different ways of critically examining the reality of diversity in organisations. Traditionally, these views have often been associated with business schools in the United Kingdom and parts of Europe like Scandinavia, but it does have a presence, critical management studies, all over the world. It's not even confined to management or business schools or departments, far from it. There's not a particular right way of doing it or a particular approach um, that one might have to adopt over any other. And for some, there are different guiding values and orientations. For some, it's about making us aware of take it, things that seem to be taken for granted or taken as natural, but actually can be questioned. It's about performing things differently, doing things differently, not necessarily accepting that we always have to pursue efficiency and productivity, growth or profit in our economies. And it's also about practicing with reflexivity, being self-aware and aware of how we're all embedded in a society where we can be constrained or compromised or sometimes acting in a way that is down to our position in, in society. And when it comes back to diversity, it's about challenging those power structures that are associated with the differences we see in society, whether it's due to some sort of class structure, gendered norms and practices and power structures, and racism and racial inequalities and power relations. So that's a fairly comprehensive picture. But beyond that, you could go and look at any philosophical or economic critical thinkers from the last couple of hundred years, going back to Karl Marx or even more ancient philosophers. But in the 1990s, there's a lot of debate around moving from modernism to postmodernism, where modernism is focused on progress and reason and how organisations embody that, whereas postmodernism is more focused on paradox and contradiction and the idea that organisations are not necessarily taking the world in the right direction. So you have to take stock of certain literary, cultural, political, historical backgrounds to organisations and management. And clearly the scientific view is abandoned in favour of trying to free people's minds from the status quo and maybe use their imagination to think about human experiences and social structures. And although there's a Marxist core to a lot of critical thinking, which involves considering how employees are often exploited in terms of cost and profit and growth from the capitalist priorities 
of many organisational systems. Critical perspectives can also draw attention to a range of other areas of organisational life. Feminist voices show us how almost everything in our organisations and societies is gendered in one way or another, often privileging masculinity and masculine understandings of organisational practices. And then there are also psychoanalytic and other cultural voices looking at how we can never fully understand organisations unless we delve deeper into the unconscious desires and fantasies that are far from the conscious world of management. Postcolonial perspectives look at the historical relations between the east, west, north and south of the globe, but particularly how certain nations, through colonial imperialist practices, oppressed parts of the world and the legacy of those international relations that still are experienced through diversity and differences in organisations today. So for me, critical research in general is interdisciplinary, it's politically challenging to the status quo, and it always stands against notions that you can view management and organisations as something that can objectively and scientifically be, be studied and taken for granted. So it's about domination, domination of growth and profit over other ethical and environmental concerns. It's about how diverse workers experience being managed and doing their work and living their lives and various agendas of reform and activism to try and adjust some of the imbalances and inequalities in existing organisational and economic systems. So I talk about this, capitalism, patriarchy, racism, imperialism and productivism, some of these biases in much mainstream thinking and acting in terms of management and organisations. I try to be pragmatic in arguing that we need to remain open to plural approaches and ways of redescribing organisations and diversity. And I move on definitely to link critical perspectives more specifically to diversity. And I give some examples of papers from a 2010 special issue of the, of the journal Organisation. And this really reflects, from the mid-1990s onwards, the type of work that was starting to emerge in the last, over a sort of 10, 15 year period. And it was really coming about to challenge the emergence of diversity management which to some degree had neglected more traditional ideas of equal opportunities. So some of these articles use post-colonial theory to look at hierarchies of cultural and ethnic differences. They use intersectional perspectives to look at how gender and ethnicity intersect to create different experiences for different minority groups that can actually be both advantaged and disadvantaged in different ways at the same time within a given workforce. Other papers look at the cultural and visual imagery of how corporations highlighted things like racial diversity, often commodifying them and trying to link them 
to economic value for the business in an instrumental, exploitative way. And other papers looking at tensions between the business case for diversity, which I talk about a lot more in a later chapter, actually, but the social justice case. So between the business case for diversity and the social justice case for diversity, where the latter values moral arguments for equality and human rights, regardless of whether diversity has financial and instrumental benefits to organisations. So these sorts of articles start to immediately open up different critical perspectives on diversity in organisations. And in this relatively short general chapter on taking a critical perspective, I finish with some thoughts around how critical perspectives continue to evolve and some further examples of research in this tradition from the last 10 years or so. One problem and challenge for critical perspectives, which I would argue mainstream approaches wrestle with in a different way, but is if you're criticising everything, then you run the risk that the people or the things that you're criticising ask, what should we do about it? And how to, to make practical implications for change. And so that's something that critical, critical researchers and practitioners have, have, have wondered about. Whether or not they should remain cynically detached or actually try and compromise and work more cooperatively and collaboratively with the organisations that they are critiquing. And this is a problem because many researchers occupy a relatively privileged position themselves within a university or maybe some other organization and so their own position gets called into into question and they have to deconstruct that and be willing to criticize themselves as well at the same time rational ideas in organizations are remarkably persistent so there's a question of how do we deconstruct some of those and what do we really want to offer in their place maybe some activism, maybe some space for freedom of expression and where people can feel listened to and supported. Certainly academia is one place where critical scholars seek to protect freedom of expression. And in some of the most critical journals in the field, and I mentioned some examples like organisation studies, the journal simply called Organisation, and I'd also include the journal Work, Employment and Society for its sociological focus. All of these journals have special forums and special types of critical articles that can be included, which allow critical perspectives to reveal underexplored areas of diversity and organisation, topics to do with emotions, politics, the arts, Topics which look at workers on the front line and the experiences they have day to day and the struggles they face. Not just looking at teams or managers in more corporate settings. And finally, scholars who find different ways of writing and compiling research that are perhaps a bit more creative, a bit more subjective, a bit more self-conscious, but allow the researchers to speak out in a personal, intimate way that is very far removed from the detached scientific perspectives of mainstream approaches. And yes, this provokes debate. Um, 
but it also pr promotes diversity. And I finished the chapter with a few more examples of studies in this tradition in the last 10 years. So one study looks more closely at sexual harassment policies and how sometimes from a feminist perspective, these policies aren't particularly rational and that they um, contain struggles over how men and women interpret them and still privilege men's positions in the organisation. There's work on um, farmers working around Coca-Cola bottling plants and local communities and how these workers are subject to violence and exploitation that is difficult for them to challenge. There's studies on anti-racist magazines and politically activist group, political activist groups that can generate anxiety and disturb perspectives and create questioning for social change. And this was Muslims in Swedish society using an anti-racist magazine. Other studies use data on class, the British class system, to look at the cultural and creative industries and how underrepresented actors and other employees from working class origins are in the professions in these industries. There are studies of transnational social movement organisations, networks of non-governmental organisations or NGOs that are striving to decolonise human rights issues around the globe that have traditionally been dominated by imperial countries and imperial interests. And finally, a study that conducts what we call a netnography. It goes on an in-depth inquiry and investigation of internet discussions among employed breastfeeding mothers and views on breastfeeding and motherhood in the workplace. And how often breastfeeding mothers can be treated with hostility and disgust and exclusion in the workplace rather than being included uh, through co-worker behaviours. So in conclusion to this chapter, it's quite ch a challenging one because in the subsequent chapters I look more clearly at specific types of critical perspective and approach. And in this chapter I've struggled to sort of define all the different things a critical perspective might include, both on management and organisations in general, but also on diversity topics and issues more specifically. It's definitely many things that a mainstream perspective is not. Using qualitative methods and analysis, digging deeper into social, cultural, political and international contexts of work and looking at people's voices and experiences in a way that is unashamedly more subjective, more personal and more intimate. And calling into question fundamental ideas about managers and organisations that the way organisations are run is not unequivocally rational, functional or consistent. So taking up political positions, but also reflecting on the implications of its own position against a backdrop of capitalism, climate change, patriarchy, post-colonialism, unconscious drives and other prominent cultural frames of reference. 
I conclude that while critical perspectives can be very messy and difficult to difficult to summarize clearly and easily and readily, that understandings of management and organization would be greatly impoverished without them. If you think back to the previous episode, if we imagine that all research was limited to quantitative statistical analyses using a limited set of psychological and economic theories, then organization studies and studies of organizations and diversity would be a lot less lively and diverse um, through missing more critical perspectives. So I finish the chapter on that note and, and note that the remaining chapters will try to open up some more critical horizons and apply them to diversity and how we think about identity and difference. So next time I'll be starting a new part of the book where we get into defining aspects of a critical perspective on diversity in organisations. And the first chapter of this part is chapter three, and I'll be taking a look at the topic of history and how history constitutes a defining aspect of a critical perspective on diversity in organisations. So thanks for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you again next time.